this is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Vajani and me, Robert Cornage. So this is Fintech Unplugged with myself, Robert Cornage, and the wonderful Peter Oates. Peter, thank you. Welcome to Fintech Unplugged. You don't even look a bit like Suresh. You're, you're much slimmer, yeah. fitter, and uh, Australian. Well, thank you, thank you. And, and you're a handsome man yourself. It's, it's very, very kind. We're going to kick off. This is a live session. Everyone that's listening to this, this is the fifth NPF and RegTech Leaders Forum, and it's run by Cube. And I'm going to ask on stage here the lovely Lily to come on and bring the bin of confusion so we can get some lovely questions. These are questions that have come from uh, the people in the audience over the last few days at this conference. Oh, God, it says first question for Peter on the front, which is a bit right. of a concern. So, Peter, is there any truth that Robert is trying to oust Suresh and bring in Peter to replace him? Suresh has already commented on this and is ready to retire on LinkedIn. Right. Well, obviously, you know, that, that worries me a little bit. Um, when I saw that post on LinkedIn, I thought the only thing I could actually do was actually post this photo in my defense that I am not trying to undo Suresh. It's actually you holding the camera, forcing me to overshadow him on your lovely, lovely uh, logo. So, no, it is not me, but if Suresh ever wants to go into early retirement, or you do, i be glad to step in. Oh, thank you very much, Peter. Do you want to let another question? I will. I will. Let's see if there's a, a more, more interesting, more interesting one here. Oh, okay. Payment and reg tech firms account for the bulk of engagements with the Bank of Ireland's Innovation Hub. Is this a sign of Ireland's growth in this sector? Has FinTech Ireland had any influence on this? And can Peter give us some insight? Peter. Ah. Okay, so what that's referring to, and we were here, so I wasn't at the event on Monday, but I have read some press coverage, is that the Central Bank of Ireland um, held its first sort of fintech event after launching an innovation hub, which honestly was just an email address saying fintech at centralbank.ie. So they came to the party quite slowly, and one of the reasons was because uh, they uh, promotional mandate came out of the legislation after the crisis, so they never saw their role to promote. Now, we only have, I think it's 13 regulated fintech companies in Ireland. And what I mean by that is 13 payment services firms and we have two e-money firms. So 11 and two. Uh, we lost one actually in July uh, that didn't make it through the PSD2 uh, reauthorization. So I suspect that most of those companies in that room fell in that area of fintech, which is unregulated. And there's a whole pile of those firms, companies like Depositify, which is an online escrow service. Um, of course, there are fintech companies which are actually agents of an EMI um, or a PSD. So the agent themselves is not really directly regulated. But what it does show and what we're hopeful is, is that the central bank in Ireland has seen what's going on. Uh, the next question we all have is, that will it jump and create a regulatory sandbox to see uh, in, in, the, in the way we've seen one in the UK, FCA, and the Dutch have done one in the joint venture, Lithuania has, has set it's one up. Similar, yeah. yeah, so look, uh, early days, fingers crossed, but yeah, let's hope and, so. I mean, if, if we remember earlier on, uh, we had the, uh, the Bank of Lithuania on here, yeah. and, uh, and they were saying that whilst they've already got sort of 30 or 40 EMIs registered and PIs, by the end of this year, they're going to have 100. Yeah. 
Is Ireland a laggard in this respect? Okay, Lithuania is an exception to the rule, right? Because uh, Marius and the team there have, uh, you know, I, I would actually look at them and say they're not necessarily promoting uh, Lithuania. I think what they're doing is saying that we're a good, credible central bank, like Alexei, the, uh, the central bank of Finland, and letting that become the promotional tool rather than saying, you know, bring us everything, bring us all your money into Lithuania. So I think it's a different thing. Ireland didn't do that. I mean, you, the, the original one of the questions which I actually missed was, had Fintech Island had any involvement in making yeah. a change? And we actually, we did. Fintech Island was actually born out of a sense of frustration with the authorization process in Ireland way back in 2014, after I left the central bank in 2013. You know, you always say this, when I left her, she was okay, you know? It's like a Titanic. All the folk in Cork say she was fine when she left Cork. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, she hit the iceberg on the way across to New York. And so we went and I was in the paper talking about, look, I think we need to be better with the authorization process. It's not really a question of regulation. It's a question of supervision and authorization. And uh, they asked me, would you like to have your name in the paper on the story? And I sort of said, look, I, I don't really want Peter Oakes because it's going to sound a bit like, you know, disgruntled former employee has a dig at it at the yeah. wrong employer, right? Cool. There's no value in that at all. So I just said, I've got, you know, I registered fintechisland.com. I'm looking for something for it to do more meaningfully. Why don't we use this, the authorization process? So it got into the press, created a lot of media, got calls from the Department of Finance, the Central Bank, and a lot of people coming out of the work saying, we share the same pain, we share the same experience. It's taking us you know, eight, nine, 10, 13 months to get an authorization. And uh, that then led to a change in the authorization process. And about four or five months later, to the bank's then credit, they invited me to stand up next to the Consumer Protection Director, Bernard Sheridan, who was a former colleague, and be there the day they announced a new authorization streamlined process. Now, we are hearing some complaints about it again now, but that may be because of, 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 of a rush. But the statistics are simply saying this, that there's probably on the SLA agreements uh, that are issued, the SLA service level standards, it looks like there's about seven firms are currently going through an EMI or a PSD authorization, right? Um, there's probably more that have applied, but they haven't cut the threshold for an application. So the central bank doesn't say it's a complete application, so it doesn't go on the yeah. stats, right? I've been told that the registers will look materially different after October. However, even if it's materially different, we're at 2025, okay? I often look at Ireland and say, look, we're about one twelfth the size of the UK. So let's think about that in terms of a number of firms that are authorised there. So if we got to 20, um, you'd multiply that by eight, wouldn't you? So we get to 20, get to 160. Now, I just did a piece of work to invite UK regulated fintech companies, PSD and e-money firms, to think about Ireland if they haven't thought about a second home after Brexit. I went through the FCA registers. I could only find 460 EMI and PSD firms in that are regulated by the UK. What I mean by that is that they're fully authorised so they can yeah. passport. So stripping out all that um, small firms. National stuff, yeah. And we can't have small firms. The regulator in Ireland has not agreed to use that exemption or derogation. Meanwhile, we have Poland, which in a Bank of England report a few years ago, uh, they were looking at something over 2,000 EMI and PSD firms, right? So I think Lithuania is certainly going to be an outlier in terms of, we, in Ireland, we say this all the time, punching above its weight. But I mean, I think, you know, you've got a, you've got a, 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 a small country like Lithuania really in the heavyweight section. And, 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 and it sounds like they're doing it incredibly well. The, the way in which Ireland is, is pushing up is, is good. But... Do you think Fintech Ireland, which is what the organisation you put together, do you think that sort of organisation would benefit in other 
jurisdictions across Europe, uh, or do they already have these organisations? You know, we set up FinTech Ireland, right, and it's not a promotion for FinTech Ireland, but we set it up as a network. We, we, we decided not to make it a, a representative body. We decided not to make it a trade association. That doesn't mean it won't ever become that. It just means at the time we set it up, it was a network. It was just to reach out and find out what's going on. And I think that idea is not a bad idea to start things. And if you are looking at doing one in uh, in another country, right? Uh, uh, you know, we started off by doing a bit of a survey and asking the firms, who are you? Are you fintech? And it's amazing. They give you the data in a survey. They give us your logo. They give us their logo, and we put their logo on our map. And the map is downloaded like twenty to thirty thousand times a year. Um, and it's really thanks to a guy called Dave Anderson. So I think the first thing is that you've got to look for the problem you're trying to solution. And we thought we don't need to be a trade body. There's enough, you know, trade union type yeah. bodies out there. And I mean that with great respect. Why don't we just go out and survey the ecosystem, talk to some of the young companies, we'll mentor them myself. Peter O'Halloran is a great example. He is the C he's the vice president of e-commerce for First Data, right? A massive payments processing company. And he runs that gig for EMEA, LATAM, and Asia Pacific. Yet he gives up his time and he goes and mentors small companies, give them an idea of what they need to do if they want to get to the next stage. So you've got to, it's really the ingredients. You've, you've got to have a sense of purpose. You've got to have a couple of core people. I call them collaborators that are really interested. And you've got to find money, right? So we don't charge a fee. And that's the reason why we're not a trade body. So we have to beg, borrow, and steal as We've got to beg, borrow, and steal money off organisations. But what I'm finding is that the banks, the professional services firms, the accountants, the lawyers, and lawyers, they're quite happy to pay the bar bill or the coffee, the tea, and the sandwiches, or give you the venue because they want to learn from the experience as well. So you can actually do this, but you just got to ask yourself why you're setting it up. What's the purpose? And today's purpose for that, that association or that network. It may look different in six months, but that's what you do. You respond to the ever-changing circumstances. Wow. Okay, there's two questions. Previously, Alexi from the Bank of Finland mentioned that Finland had an innovation help desk. Do you think that is, a, that, that is something needed at an EU level to help clarify PSD2? And also, PSD2 concepts, and also educate parties involved in certain solutions and I can't read the last one. Certain solutions and doubts. Doubts, thank you. Doubts. I had a doubt about that. I, you certainly did. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think what the guy was talking about in Finland, but I think Alexi's gone now, so we can't uh, clarify what he actually meant. But I, I thought he was suggesting it was a kind of sandbox equivalent. And maybe... Uh, what is needed is some sort of, uh, as, as I think we've yeah. always said, is some sort of standardised sort of viewpoint from the the, the European regulators. Now, the, the Euro EBA has now started looking at creating, uh, I mean, under PSD2, some more uh, generic definitions that yeah. can be passed through across the whole of Europe. Uh, and I think that is something that's been needed a long time. Uh, I think whether or not the EBA could ever have the resource to then have a general inquiry desk, uh, and would that be for other regulators to talk to, or would that be a general inquiry desk yeah. for the industry? Because I think if it's for the whole industry, they would need a whole team of call centres to deal with that, uh, whereas if they were dealing with uh, requests from particular regulators, so maybe what we would say is maybe the regulators in each country take a, 
a pooling of the information requests yeah. and then filter them through and maybe have one or two key requests where we see that there are questions coming up in multiple jurisdictions across Europe. I don't yeah. know, what's your view, Peter? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of the, the uses. That, so it's the European uh, Securities and Markets Agency, the European Banking <laughs> Authority, and of course, IEOPA, um, the European Insurance and Pension Organization. Now, what they say, and we touched on it in the last couple of days, it's they don't necessarily engage with the public. They, they, the, uh, the many things they do, one of the things they say is important to them is to try and eliminate regulatory arbitrage. So when you go to one regulator and you say, this is my business model, does it need to be regulated? And they say no, and then you actually lift it up and you run across the European Union and you go to another EU member state and you present exactly the same facts and they say, of course, that should be regulated. And people think that doesn't happen. But in fact, it does. You know, crowdfunding, there are some regulators in the EU that consider crowdfunding right now to be a payment service. There are some regulators that consider an ICO to be a payment service. There are some regulators out there that will say that is not what the intention of the regulation or directive was. But you know what? It doesn't matter what the intention of the regulation was. It only matters how it reads. And how that regulator in that particular country is yeah. determining it. So I don't, I mean, I, I wonder, I mean, you, you might find the ESA's sort of supporting, um, a, a, you know, a, a European telephone number, a help desk, a website. But I think that's then going to be, we're not a real federation in Europe. The European Union isn't like Australia and it's not like America, okay? Certainly not like Australia. It's not like those countries whereby the federal government can impose its will on the states. So in, you know, in Europe, they yeah. can, we've agreed certain things, but we never agreed tax harmonization in Europe, right? That's never going to happen. Not, not in Ireland's case anyway. So that's what we have to bear in mind is that it will probably be a much stronger coordination at the European level to ensure that all the regulators sing off the Same. one hymn sheet. Yeah, yeah. We've got this follow up question here. What negative consequences could there be if we moved to an AI environment? Do you want to start answering it and then I'll, well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go and find the guy from Tom's Royals. I think he's in the audience he, somewhere. Still. He is, Let yeah. I mean, I thought that was interesting. Is um, Was it Brad on our panel and a few others? We talked about AI and sort of said, actually, AI is not a technology that does these things. It's a, it's a, it's a utility that you use, right? So we've been talking about around in terms of culture. So what are the negative consequences of the AI environment? I mean, I, I don't have a lot of experience in AI. I was just you know reminded of when I was at that insurance company event and the head of claims sort of said, look, we want to use technology to help um, make our claims processing more efficient. And I went, well, I actually would have thought that you'd rather make it as, as inefficient as possible because then you don't pay, <laughs> then you don't pay anything out. That's very skeptical, Peter, yeah. um, And they said, well, no, actually, we, we don't because um, we realize that giving the customer what they need when they need it, when we have an obligation, actually draws that customer closer to us again for their next insurance product. And I thought, right, okay, but they, what they were talking about was that they were concerned about inherent bias and the negative consequences if the, if the way they deployed artificial intelligence, the way they utilized it with deep learning, machine learning, and look, you know, back to the same thing, that would give negative consequences. And then, and sort of a similar point was, um, as a regulator, we used to always say, rubbish in, rubbish out. So if my data is crap, it doesn't matter what overlay of technology I put on top we of it. We don't want to look at your data on your no. laptop. So let's, let's <laughs> but the you output's going to be crap. Exactly. It, the UK has 60 unicorns setups, uh, startups, I guess, since 1990. What was a unicorn? A unicorn. Isn't that a company which just make believes that it's worth more than a billion in local currency? 
It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mythical animal. Uh, it's, oh, okay, right. That's what it is. Oh, sorry. I just hear unicorn. That was a trick question, but hey, no, in, in the context of that question, I don't think we're talking about the mythical animals this time. Okay, so the question was that one-fifth of all unicorns yeah. in Europe, mm-hmm. um, as 60, so one-fifth of all the unicorns in Europe uh, are based apparently in the UK. How will... Ooh, it's a tough one. I'm glad I'm not answering this one. Okay. How will Brexit, the B word, affect this? Brexit. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess the B word had to had to come up at some point on the on the discussion. And uh, with the, I think the last I saw, it was still ninety percent. Uh, and I don't know whether that was fake news because it was on Twitter. Ninety percent uh, likelihood of uh, non-hard Brexit. So there's only a ten percent chance of us uh, falling into this hard Brexit solution. And I think the 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 downside will only occur if we have a hard Brexit. So one hopes that that isn't going to be the case. But were were there to be a hard Brexit, then the, then the question is to what extent would those unicorns be affected? And in my view, a lot of them would not be affected. They would still want the the buzz of the hub that is London. We have a lot of the technology there, and don't forget a lot of these tech tech firms that are unicorns are not necessarily in financial services. So is it is it really going to affect them that much? Uh, they may have trouble on getting staff because they may find their staff are no longer allowed to work in the UK. They may have trouble getting funding because mm. of the funding coming from Europe, perhaps. But I think the general infrastructure that we have in the UK and the fact that they could always, if they needed to work in another jurisdiction in Europe, still get some sort of extra UK help, uh, yeah. maybe a, a licensed entity outside the UK that would be able to help them to passport. I still don't think it's going to affect the actual main hub of the, the, the oh. that whole group of, of techies that are in like uh, level 39 or okay. what. I don't, I don't think it's going to affect I, what, what I, 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 I did hear some murmurs when you said uh, 90-10 split, like a 10% chance of a hard Brexit versus 90 of a, yeah. another Brexit. There's probably something there in the middle. Uh, I don't know if anybody here watches The Simpsons, but I, I, I sort of watch it religiously. There's a great line in it that says that um, alcohol, the cure and cause of all the world's problems. And politics is exactly the same. It's the cure and the cause of all the world's problems. So this is all about political will, isn't it? Because you sort of think about it as like, if there was a hard Brexit, right? And like a hard Brexit, right? We can talk about it in terms of a custom union, because that's what people actually mean. But, you know, there's nothing being said about the continuation of the passport in financial services. That is off the discussion table right now. Everyone's just focusing on the hard border for customs union. But let's think about this. Why couldn't you still keep, and why can't the EU work out a deal where, all right, we'll still keep staff in London, but there's no, and we'll be faithful to the regulatory process, and they can have a, an authorization presence in another country, and they can have a, a good whack of capital in that European Union country ring fenced to keep you know, the Europeans happy, still allow the company in the UK to continue to do its fintech services, but actually the, te- the legal passporting is actually done by the, 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 the regulated company in Lithuania or Estonia or France or Germany or, or whatever. Or Ireland. Or in Ireland, absolutely, thank you. Don't want to um, you so as long as the, like, everything comes down to money. If the yeah. money is safe and it's locked down, the capital's there. So if a bank fails, does it really matter that a bank failed in the UK as long as the capital and the customer assets being properly ring-fenced? So, you know, I think this all comes down to a political will. And I, I may be too naive with my answer, but that's the way I sort of think. Yeah, and I think, I, think, I think a lot of firms out there are doing one foot in, one foot out, just in case. So, as you know, the, the applications probably in Ireland and Lithuania, uh, to a larger extent, are probably just this safe 
protection so that they've got one foot in Europe, UK and one foot in EU if there's a hard Brexit. Yeah, I mean, of course, when you're facing a storm on a yacht and there's targs still here, yeah, and you're facing a storm on a yacht, you start looking for a safe harbour. I have a question here. Uh, it has been uncovered that, uh, as it discovered, it's been uncovered that both pre uh, presenters were still out drinking uh, in central Brussels no, after no, two a.m. This, this is fake news. This is more this, fake. This news. is more fake news. I, I don't know where. Um, could, could is, we look like we've been out drinking till two a.m.? Not at all. No. Uh, is this a reflection on the stamina and resilience of the reg tech industry? Now that's a sensible question. That, the last, last two, yeah. So over to you. What does resilience in, in reg tech I, look like? I, I think resilience is is. I think there was a quote from Yoda on this one. <laughs> do or don't do. Trying not. Uh, something, something like that, because you know what he speaks like, he's got this with it. But I think the good thing about our, our, our reg tech and our fintech sector is that we do. Don't go, let's see if we can try this or try that. We, we get out and do it. And I think we've got a lot of really good entrepreneurs in this space that are just getting out. The sandbox is a, is a, is a great solution that we've got in the FCA in the UK. The fact that we're all still here now and we've got a great audience is part of that. They, there's, there's this desire for learning and the desire to get out there and, and deliver solutions. If you look at how many people went out last night, yeah. um, for and just a quick, uh, was it mint tea or green tea? Green tea, yeah, green yeah tea, that, that green, green tea cafe water. around the corner. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we're a very healthy industry, but we, we are a community. And we have this still, well, I used to work at the FSA in London, and we still have the ex, uh, it was actually, when I first joined, it was called IMRO, the Investment Management Regulatory Organization. That's how old I am, right? I'm I actually worked there. Uh, so if you have an FSA question and you're an ex-FSA employee working in industry and you've read the rule book upside down, you can't work it out, you send the question into this group or we meet at a pub every six weeks for green tea. For a green tea. For yeah. a green tea. Right. And we actually answer the question for the people around us, right, who are dealing with it because one of us has done it. So I think that's one of the benefits of RegTech. Let me, let me get uh, another question. So now we have RegTech right. for regulation and SoupTech for supervisors. Uh, that does sound like food, mm -hmm. soup. Um, soup kitchens, I'm thinking of you here. Um, <laughs> no, probably Suresh, to be fair. Um, what do you think will be the next dot, dot, dot tech to hit our dictionary? Ah, well, obviously, since Have I... Have you got any thoughts? I do. Well, since I own Shitecoin... Um, which it's is a Irish name. Yes, it's Ireland's very first digital currency, and it runs on something we call the crack chain um, in Ireland. Um, so I'm obviously thinking that shite dot tech is shite yeah. Tech. So rubbish in, rubbish out. Bad machinery, bad learnings. It's going to be shite, and that's do, do, do that. Shite. Can I say shite? Can I say shite? I think no, we not can. Say shite. We can definitely say shite. It's not shite. It's, it's not it's, like it's, 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 it's not okay. the other word. It's shite. No, exactly. It's um, on e at the end. I also love. Don't blame me, blame the dot tech. So yeah, that's another one. That can work. That can work. Anyone in the audience have any new techs that they think is going to come through? Um, actually, mistake tech. Mistake tech, yeah. Mistake. I think this is a good time for us to ask Jeff to go to the man in the street uh, and see what, what type of techs they're thinking of. The man on the street. It could be a woman. Yeah, my name's Ellen. Is there any industries that sort of come to mind that you think these guys really could do with a bit of a kick up the arse? Whether it's an industry or shops or types I've of I've just group? had like this same issue with Empower. Right. Um, they've sort of like given me this great app. It's brilliant. You can send, send them a meter reading. But then I changed my email address. 
and it's like the end of the world now I can't do anything you know and it's like well no but you're not you're not who you say you are and I'm like no I've just changed my email I'm still the same person so energy center so, is, mm, is a, yeah, oh that's so interesting that could do yeah. a change my name's Eleanor Churchett so oh I'd love sometimes to have an app for things yeah like for instance I go to the gym so do an app monitoring your, your, your fitness levels or something yep. like that I'd really like that book book a session with your Pilates yeah. or whatever yeah. it might be yeah. yeah I have to phone up if I want to do that yeah. so oh, I don't yeah. normally I can see you're freezing. That's all right. Thank you very much. The man on the street. It could be a woman. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it, Peter? So um, there seems to be one last question in the bin, Peter. Do you want to get oh, it out okay, and, yes. uh, and, and see what wonderful thing what we wonderful have in the bin of yeah. confusion <laughs> here in the wonderful uh, Brussels in Belgium uh, with, our, with our friends from Cube? Oh, okay, right. So I actually, I may have to ask you to read this one because right. I can't see that. I can't read that handwriting. I know you didn't write this. Is that TLAs? Is that TLAs? That looks like three-letter acronyms to me. So it looks like three-letter acronyms being TLAs. I should have known that. Three-letter acronyms are so prevalent in reg tech. Um, if a BLT is a sandwich, which is a bacon, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich and not a distributed ledger technology DLT, how does that affect the definition of others like I just gave it away. DLT. Well, I, I, I mean, I think I think that's a that is a fair question actually. It's not not just a because I think DLT is, is is like a sandwich of many layers. Uh, this whole idea of bringing distributed ledger technology in, uh, along with all the other acronyms we have in the industry, is something that uh, is is creating a, a a sandwich into which we can put information. So DLT. Each block in the blockchain DLT is like a sandwich into which you can put the various layers, uh, all of which will be um, the immutable, is the word I believe everyone uses. Has anyone got a better word than immutable? So the information that held inside that sandwich is, is immutable because it's very difficult for you to change it because there are so many nodes on the blockchain, on the distributed ledger technology, um, in order to make it fair. So I think DLT and BLT are, are, are sandwiches. Well, my very last one then is, um, uh, are all blockchains DLT, but not all DLT are blockchains? Is that correct? I have to come back and find someone who knows the answer to that question, maybe in the so, break. Yeah, but well, I, I, I think the answer is blockchain is the term that was used to define the DLT, which is behind Bitcoin, whilst DLT is the generic term that has been used throughout the industry, unless there's someone in the audience that can disprove that to me. Well, we just call it a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. We're there. Well, thinking of food. I think it's time to let this lovely audience uh, get to their food break. We've got lunch coming up, so thank you all. Uh, can we hit the exit music? <laughs> <laughs>